Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Well, good morning, everybody. I don't even know if I need a microphone, but I might as well just do it. So the Bible talks about the elect, right, in the Bible. You are the elect of the elect, of the elect. I love that. I'm glad you're here this morning. And uh, uh, obviously nothing is going to stop you all from coming to church. We had a few folks in the uh, historic chapel this morning too. And uh, I think one lady come driving in on a quad or something. But she was there, so I love it. So this message this morning is short and sweet. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. And um, a reminder, um, I remember a while back ago, thank you, Sal, a while back ago, I was preaching on um, the book of Colossians, and just as a reminder, it's a letter where Paul was writing to the church, and it wasn't as if there was, um, wasn't as if there was, uh, a super crisis at hand, but the church had some problems, and Paul's right-hand man was Epaphras, and Epaphras was basically like his lieutenant, and the church was going good, everything seemed to be running fine, and all things were good and clear until something happens, right? Everything seems like it's going good. And what we have here is a situation where there were some false teachers coming in to try to corrupt the church. I thought this was going to be comfortable. It's not. So Epaphras goes and meets Paul while Paul is in prison. And he runs up to him and says, listen, the church seems to be doing good, but we do have a problem where there are a group of guys coming in and they're trying to disrupt the church by teaching them a wrong message. They're trying to teach something that's not very familiar. It's not the thing that you taught me. It's, it's something really weird. They're trying, to tell us, they're trying to tell us in the church that we don't need the Jesus that you taught us about. They're trying to teach us that Christ isn't really who you said he was. You said that he was God in the flesh. You said that because of who he was, completely God and completely man at the same time, that he can be the one to forgive our sins because he came in the human form, taking on sin, facing every temptation that we did and do, and yet was without sin, and because of that he would be the perfect sacrifice. And they're saying, no, that's wrong. And they're trying to convince us to follow the God that they believe in. They're teaching us, trying to convince us that if we follow the God that they're talking about, their rules and regulations, which was a blend of Gnosticism and Jewish legalism, um, and put in the bowl, uh, this, is where, this is where Gnosticism came in. It was early, East, it was, it was early Eastern philosophy with a Jewish legalism and outbred Gnosticism. And they were trying to teach him. This is kind of why it was kind of bred from. So Paul knows that, all right, 
we have a situation that needs to be deal, dealt with immediately. So he writes this letter, and the letter is filled with love. The whole letter, it really is, he's trying to encourage the church. And he's saying, listen, you guys are doing a great thing. Your love for God, your, your commitment to Christ, all these things, your service to others, it's impeccable. It's beautiful. But the warning here is that, again, that the church is not on the brink of extinction. But if it's not dealt with, it can become detrimental to the church at Colossae. Maybe an example I would think about that right off the top of my head would be maybe if we had gotten some, maybe if you got mold in an attic and, or you have a leaky pipe somewhere up there or the air conditioning unit begins to leak and if it's not fixed, we're going to have water on top of the attic and then we're going to get mold and then eventually the wood's going to get rotted out and then we got to pay the exterminator to, to kill the termites and then we got to bring the carpenter in and, and fix all the wood. So he knows that if, if, if it's the same thing with here in Goodwill Church, if there's a problem that comes in that we don't deal with right away, and that's not saying the pastors see this, it's the congregation, it's all of us, we're all in this together. If we see a potential problem, we need to deal with it immediately because if we don't, it could be detrimental to the advancement of God's kingdom and what he wants us to do and be a part of right here in the church. Amen? So this was Paul's letter to them. Again, church wasn't on the brink of extinction. It was really a letter of encouragement. This really was. Paul loved this church, and he loved the words, the encouragement that Epaphras came back and told Paul. He was so excited, but he knows that, listen, if we, we got a problem. We need to deal with this right away. So we're going to see a charge that God gives through Paul that he wants to give to the church of Colossae as well as us here today, as well as every fundamental church around the world that's preaching, uh, whether they're under palm trees this morning or they're on 10 feet of snow, more upstate, one or the other. As uh, long as it's a fundamental church, this church, uh, the, this charge is from God through Paul for all the churches. So if you would, follow along. Colossians chapter 2. We're just going through verses 6 to 10, and even with that, I really want to focus on 6 and 7. If you have an ESV Bible, your heading might say, Alive in Christ. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll go before God in prayer and ask Him for His blessing. Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for these words, and I pray, Almighty God, that you would instill in in and through each and every one of us, what this means. Lord, my prayer is that we would never just open up your book and just look at those words as if we can try to figure this out on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to help us. We need your forgiveness. We need you to help us have um, all the chaos and anxieties and depressions and all those things taken out of our minds in order for us to receive even if they're not taken out completely, I ask that you would just, just depress them, lower the PSI so this way we're able to really digest what you have for us. And we're thankful for that. We really are. 
So please come and help us, and please, Almighty God, forgive the one who preaches, because he's a sinner. He needs your love and grace as much as anyone else on this planet. Thank you in your name. Amen and amen. So over the years, um, I've, read, I've read quite a few books, maybe not as many as some of you, but to say the least, I've read quite a few. Some I've read cover to cover, some I've read a few chapters, uh, some I've read just paragraphs, but I've read quite a bit. And I've got to tell you, the Christian authors that I read through, I was, for the most part, I was pretty impressed by. I really was. I watched their lives. I watched their leadership. Um, I've seen how they led their leaders, how they led the church, their lifestyles, how they loved God, most important, how they loved their families, and uh, the things that they taught. Uh, not always did I agree with all of them in terms of systematic theology and what I believe the Bible was stating, but I still was able to receive from all of those books, whether um, a guy by the name of like William Barclay, I, I wasn't even going to mention anybody's name, but William Barclay, I love all the things, I love a lot what he's written, but then there's one aspect, um, Barclay, that he believes that God isn't sovereign over everything, so for me that was a problem. But he wrote a lot of good stuff too. So I, I took from this one and I took from that one. Uh, back in the days, read uh, some stuff by Kay Arthur. Loved Kay. Kay wrote some great stuff. I was really encouraged by those things. However, uh, not all of them remained strong in their faith. So uh, there's one author in particular who's also a pastor of a church. I'm not going to give you his name. Um, you may be able to figure it out on your own, but... He was church of about, I mean, thousands. I think his congregation was about 15,000. And uh, I, I love the things that he wrote about. I read several books by him. Back in the days, even jo Pastor Josh Stewart recommended him, and Pastor John liked him, and it was, it was good stuff. Unfortunately, I found out that later on he was living a double lifestyle. And he had um, corrupted the church out of finances, had uh, numerous affairs with women inside the church, and the really bad part about that is that that's not bad enough as it is, but these women, it wasn't even consensual. So I found out that the women in the church, he'd even go on like these uh, church conferences where these women would come, choose like secretaries, things like that, helpers, right, and things like that, and, and that he would invite them up to his room to say that he wants to talk about business, and when he got them there, he manipulated them into sexual activity, and so it wasn't even, a, wasn't even consensual. And then he convinced these women that, hey, if you bring this up to anybody, this congregation is going to hate you because they love me. So these women were afraid because they were afraid they were going to get in trouble. And they were afraid that the congregation would hate them. They were going to afraid that their husbands weren't going to believe them. It was a train wreck. And this guy just disappeared off the face of the earth now. Wrote numerous books. Podcasts. Bunch of stuff, right? And it's, it's not to say that... Um, it's, it's not just them. Uh, you know, Renee and I have been walking uh, with the Lord since we were about 19. Uh, and I'm going to be 53 next month. That means Renee's going to be 25. You heard me say that, right? Mama didn't raise no fool. And, um, and I, I wish I could tell you that I matured the way that I really believe God wanted me through all these years. I wish I could tell you that I matured the way that I hope to mature but I've allowed certain circumstances through my life to kind of depress me in one way or another. Sometimes my mind got off the bigger picture of God's kingdom and it got on to, well, what's Kenny's kingdom, right, through the years. 
And I thank God that there was a lot less of that. But I think about when I look back at my life and I'm like, man, I think about when I first, when I first received Christ. Man, I remember I was on fire for him. And I was, all these things seemed to be, I mean, I was on track doing all these things that I believed the church person was supposed to do. And I was doing it out of joy. I didn't feel like I was doing it because out of like, you know, guilt or anything. I was, it, was, it was a joy for me to do this. And I was so excited. And then I, I look back through the years and I start thinking, man, what happened in my early 30s? You know, I, 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 re, I ran through all these hills like a roller coaster. And even by me saying that, I'm sure that each and every one of you can think of something, some way, somehow, the same thing happened, right? We're human, we are, and, and God knows that, and he still loves us so much. But when you think about the charge that Paul is giving to the church here, in verse 6, the charge is to the church is that walk in the same manner worthy into which you received the calling. See, the church at Colossae, when they received all of this from Epaphras, which received it from Paul, that we read back from Acts uh, chapter 16, I believe it is, when he met up with Paul in the ministry at Ephesus, Paul taught Paul. Uh, Paul taught Epaphras. This is what we do. This is who Christ is. Go bring this back. Share with them the joy. Be thankful for all these things. Go and share that love with the congregation and help them walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has placed upon their lives. So Paul knew, again, when you read through the later verses of the text that we just read, 8, 9, uh, Paul gives the warning, don't let anybody take you captive by that empty, deceitful language, those teachings. They're false. Right? Before that, he says, be thankful. And we're to be thankful for the calling that God placed upon our life when we first received him. But the problem is sometimes we diminish from that. We allow circumstances in life to get through there. Listen to what um, Billy Graham notes, right? Oh, even before I get there, right? So think about this, as I'm just thinking about this. When we read... Paul give the charge, which is really ultimately from God, talking about walking in a manner in which you were called, right? The visual of that, as I'm just thinking, is this is from John chapter 3 when Jesus meets up with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is Israel's, probably one of his, Israel's most wealthiest teachers, one of the most knowledgeable teachers on the Torah. And when he's having this conversation with Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, a man must be born again, right? We've, we've read this text a thousand times. Nicodemus is like, well, what does that mean? That can't get back into my mother's womb. And Jesus looks at him and says, you, Israel, is one of Israel's greatest teachers, and you don't know what this means? I could picture Nicodemus putting his hands in his pockets going, no, I don't, I don't know what this means. I would have said the same thing. Jesus, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, a man and a woman must be born again. There has to be something inside of us that changes Right, the word for born again comes from a Greek word, ananoia. I'm not a Greek major or anything. I don't have that or anything like that. I know a few words. But the word comes from ananoia. And what that means is that Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, when a man or a woman is born again, you're walking in this direction, right? Evil, sinful, passionate pleasures, debauchery, selfishness, all kinds of malice. But when the Holy Spirit comes and invades the soul, there's a complete turnaround and you start heading in a different direction towards the cross. It's not saying that we don't turn from time to time. It's not saying that we don't get persuaded. It's not saying that sometimes 
we're not influenced by demonic activity to do something that's not kingdom-like, kingdom-bound. We're all guilty of this. However, even when we're headed towards the cross, we may, try to, we may get persistent to turn to the side a little bit, but we got to stay focused on the cross. That was Jesus' instruction to Nicodemus. You're alive. Now, I know that there's, there are some youngers here, right, and, and there's some of us that are older. Think about the time, right, when we first received Christ, right? Man, we felt like we were on fire for God. And then sometimes, all of a sudden, maybe a month, two months, a year later, and you're going, this Christian thing ain't really, I don't know if it's really working out the way I wanted it to or it should be. And what would we say? What are you promised, right? Jesus promises in John chapter 10 that I'll give you an abundant life. But Paul also talks in, in Philippians, Colossians, hey, be prepared. If you want to walk with Christ, you're going to suffer with Christ as well. So we, right, we're encouraged, we're going to be reminded that we don't get away from those things, right? They're added to us so that we know our identity. Got it, right? The scriptures are saying if you want to share in the joys of Christ, you must also share in the sufferings of Christ. We don't want that. I know I don't, right? I, I want the, I, my flesh wants the easy, carefree life. My spirit inside, no, I want to suffer. I want to be known as like those guys that really put their life on the line and, and make miraculous movements for the kingdom. And it's not, for the, it's not for, the, for the earthly, humanistic accolades. I don't want that, right? In my mind, right, two things. I'm always the hero in every scene, right? And I never lose an argument with anyone. I'm fabulous up here. I really am. I never lost an argument to this day. And I'm always the hero in every scene I dream of, right? I'm always the victorious one. But I think that we have to be like the church at Colossae when Paul was saying, as you received him, walk in a manner worthy. What they received was not Jesus just as Christ, as beautiful as that is, but to add on to that, it was Christ the anointed one. It was Christ the Messiah, Christ who would save. He was divine priest, prophet, and divine king. That's what they received. That's what you and I received. And we have to be reminded. i got to preach to myself every day that you know what? As crazy, as chaotic as this world can be, right? Just buying parts for our truck the other day. I'm like, no, I didn't want a new truck. I just, I just, I just need that part. It's the same price, right? So, right, everything is out of control, but this is not our earthly home. I have to remind myself that every day. I promise I do. Because I, it's so easy for us to get distracted. So listen to what Billy Graham says. Question for all of us as I'm, as I'm, as I'm reading Billy Graham's statement is who is the Jesus to us? Is he the Jesus that we first met? And hopefully he's a, he becomes even better and better. It's not that he becomes better and better. It's that we become more knowledgeable, right? We become more in tune to what the cross really means. We become more in tune to who God is. And not only his love is beautiful as is, but we also have to be more in tune to his anger on sin. Amen? Billy Graham quotes this, No man can be said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had emotional religious experiences. However, 
He's not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. All right. Two things that come to my mind. One, what are my dreams? We're in a new year here, right? There is nothing wrong with making new goals in terms of either trying to spend our finances better, whether we want to lose weight, exercise more, have more cleaner language. All of these things, they are good things. But even as we make our New Year's resolutions, the question we have to ask, Lord, are those dreams yours to me or are they mine for myself? The things I want to recover and abandon and rebuild, are they for the greater good of God's kingdom? Are they for Jesus or are they for self-gratitude? Do I want to lose weight because I want to look good amongst my peers and the people at the church or at my job? Or do I want to lose weight and eat more properly because I know that that brings glory to God by, by doing things right? Do I want to save more finances for the greater good of thinking that's my security? Or am I going to trust that Christ is my security? And there's nothing wrong with saving money, right? The Bible speaks about that. Those who are prudent, those, those are, that is good, that's a blessing. What I'm saying is that every time that we do something, we have to begin to ask ourselves, it has to be at the forefront, is this for the greater good of God's kingdom? Or is this something that I want to gain for myself? When Billy Graham said that nobody has been truly converted unless he has bent his will, right? The mind, the heart, right? The mind is the human heart according to the Bible. So the question is, have we bent our will to Christ? Now this is what I wish Billy Graham did say. After I read that statement, I'm going to read exactly what I wrote. After I read that statement from Billy Graham, I stared at it for a while and I wish that Billy had said something different. Let me fill in Billy's words. Let me put words in his mouth. I write for Billy, no man can be truly converted to Christ unless he bent his knee to Christ. Not his will, his, his knee, right? I, Billy, that's what you really meant to say. You've got to bend your knee. You've got to get on your knees for the congregation to see you. Even when you're home, you've got to bend on your knees and, and go to prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. But the difference between the two is this. It's a lot easier just to bend on our knees, try to convince the congregation that we're good and holy, even ourselves when we're alone in our bedrooms. The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I roll, I hit my alarm off, and I roll down to the, the, the floor, right? I roll right off the floor, bang my knees, that's what wakes me up, and it hurts. And then I begin to go in prayer to God. Sometimes I fall slack, back asleep for 10 seconds, I wake back up. But it's a lot easier for me to say, hey, man, that's good Christian character right there. I'm a winner. For Christ. And there's nothing wrong with that. God wants us to do that. It's known that James, Jesus' half-brother, who wrote the book of James, they said that his knees were all completely torn up and leathery for how much time he had spent on the floor in prayer for those in whom he loved in the church. There's nothing wrong with that. But I know for myself it's a lot easier for me just to get on my knee and say, Lord, I'm going to work on some stuff. But bending of the will... In the mind? Bro, that's, that's spiritual warfare. You want to talk about the invisible tug of war game going on? Because you don't know what's going on inside my mind. I don't know what's going on inside yours. Have you really bent your will to God? Have I really bent mine? Only God knows. 
And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you, I love you and I know you love me. There's a lot more I could do for the kingdom. I know there is. I know it. I have to be the first to say this. There's a lot more. There are people that come to me in Renee's house. We have had thousands of people come through our doors. I have made more chicken thighs, roasted potatoes, and salad and a choice of Renee's vegetable than probably anybody on this planet. Because that's the only meal you get when you come to my house. If you don't like it, I don't care, bring something else. And you have a two-hour time limit. Sometimes I give an extra 15 minutes, I want you out the door. I've made more chicken than anything else. But even so, people say, oh, man, you and Renee, man, you guys do so much. No, we don't. Nope. Me and Renee know that, man, there is so much more that we can do for this kingdom. Because I'll tell you what. Let's be honest, when we meet Christ, none of us are going to be saying, man, I did too much. If Jesus Christ was to come walking through this door right now, I've asked some people this in the past in private conversations. If Jesus was to come walking through this door, what do you think, what do you think would happen right now? Oh, man, I'd go give him a big hug, high five. We've got a special handshake going on. All right. All right. I think if Jesus was to come walking through that door, every one of us would fall to the ground with our faces, licking and tasting the flavor of what's been on the shoes of people's feet right now. That is the same Jesus that we're going to meet one day, me included. There's a joy and a fear at the same time. Because I know there's so much more I could do for the kingdom. I know that I have not lived by that charge all the way. Paul's saying, come on, man, do everything with thankfulness. Thankfulness. Christ is saying, listen, I have you on these things. I got, you're doing service for me. You're not going to be here for long. I've got a place for you. I've built a mansion for you. I want you to be where I am. You're coming. And even for the times that you try to run away, I'm going to snatch you by your undies, and we're going to do a wedgie, and I'm going to pull you right back to me. Because you're mine. You belong to me. And I'm never going to let you go. Even when you try to let go of me, I am never going to let go of you. That's where we find hope. That's what we want to use to institute the joy and the thankfulness for what he gives. Amen? All right. We're going to get ready. I'm landing this plane now. Listen to what Paul writes in terms of, you think about the spiritual warfare in the mind. From Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13, he writes this. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authority, rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That warning was not just for that church, it's for us too as well. Paul knew that these false teachers would try to persuade the church to follow a different path that would lead to destruction. And if the church didn't continue to walk in a manner worthy calling that Christ placed upon them, the church was going to deplete itself. Think about it right now. Every time that me and you, every time that we take a few steps away from Christ, we feel it. Because right? that's, that's not God wants for you. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you. That's what he does. Thank God for that. Right? Because left up to myself... I'm about me. Ken Fanning's biggest problem is Ken Fanning. It is. My flesh wants what it wants. And I have to die to that every day. When I fall down to my knees in the morning, I'm like, Lord, would you please help me die to something else today that you want me to die from? Because, Lord, truthfully, you know me better than I know myself. I don't want to. I'm going to leave this house 
and I'm going to figure out ways to do what I want. I'm asking you to please help me. Would you help me die to the things that you hate and help me to live for the things that you love? Amen? In closing, just a couple of seconds left, I think probably one of the biggest problems we face as humans is that we get tired and depressed easy. I think we get tired sometimes of walking this walk. Right, let's come to church every Sunday sometimes can be tiresome. Maybe not, and that's good that it's not, but it's okay if it is because we're human and God knows that, right? For you all coming out today, that's a false statement probably. <laughs> you know what I mean. But, but, but think about it, right? There you, look at the faces in church. Ask God to awaken you and to magnetize those individuals in which he would have you share a piece of your life with. We have gotten just so many new men on our Tuesday night Bible study by just inviting someone, saying, hey, would you want to come out? We'd love to have you there. Uh, we're a good group of guys, a bunch of blue collars. We do have some Thai guys, but we're guys that, you know, we break each other's chops. We have a good time. Uh, we're learning from one another, and some of the best friendships are cultivating out of this study. Would, would you like to come? And some people are like, I, I can? Of course you can. Why can't you? It's, it's amazing what the invite does. So don't get tired, right? Um, it, I'm praying that this year in our church would be very different. I really am. I'm praying that we run the race that God has for us with the power that he intended it. We don't want to be, the last thing that we want to do is run year after year after year after year doing the same thing. What that's like is like, Pulling up to the mall or driving home one night, and um, I know that most cars have automatic lights. I'm going to age myself. We had to turn ours off when I was a kid. But you shut the car off and you left the lights on, and all of a sudden through the night, the lights just get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. If we're not plugged into that source, it's going to be the same thing for us. Last week, my son and I were doing a... Um, we were doing um, a job in somebody's basement where we had to fix the pipes on an oil tank. And uh, we haven't bought all the fancy cordless tools yet, so we still have the plug-in kind, right? So I told my son, all right, we're in a basement. It's like a dungeon. The house is from the 1800s. Uh, there's, uh, nobody is okaying the electric that's in this basement, right? Everything, is, everything that could be wrong is wrong, right? But I got to fix my job because I can't fill the tank unless I fix it. Told my son, go find an outlet and, and plug the extension cord in there and plug our saw. And I need you to make a cut right here on this pipe. Two cuts. So he goes over. And we're walking in an inch of water, by the way. That's really good for extension cords, right? I was wondering, I said, Junior, don't drop that end in there because Christmas is over. And I do not want you to light up ever. So I said, go find an outlet. So he goes in there. He plugs it in. Comes back. We don't have the fancy extension cords that they light up either. So he comes all the way back over to the other side of the basement, grabs a tool, click, click. And he looks at me. What do you want me to do? Go find another plug, right? All right. So he walks. That's how he basically, he puts it in another one, comes back. All right, come on, make the cut. We got to go. Click, click. And then he looks at me again. I cannot produce the electric. Find it. Go do something. Go find a different outlet. I don't care if you got to go plug it in upstairs. Go do whatever you got to do. I need a cut. We got to get out of here. So he's going, going around. He finally gets the power he needs, makes the cut. And now I'm thinking, as he's cutting the pipe, and I'm like, how am I going to use that for an illustration? And then I'm thinking, wait a second, I'm looking at my own life. How many times have I not plugged into 
How many times have I not plugged into the main source? And I plugged into something fake and phony, and I'm receiving nothing out of it. How many times have I plugged into a source and I'm trying to live my life and do all these things and try to have good relationships, even good, even back in the early days, plugging into different sources and trying to have good relationships in church? It doesn't work. And it's not meant to. And I'm glad that it failed. And for any of you, and there's only a few of us here today, but if any of you in your life are failing, I'm glad because it proves that God's word is right. I'm, I'm not happy for failure. I don't want to see that happen in your life. But if things are not working out the way that we ought to, just like they weren't in mine, just like areas of my life that still need to be plugged in, that sometimes I'm just trying to pull, Lord, can I just have to plug halfway in? Right? And then I watch the, I watch now, now we got, we got an extension cord with a light on it. So I go to plug it out. Just halfway, the light goes out. Well, I plug it all the way. You got to plug it like all the way in. And then I try to just move it just a little bit and the light goes out. It's the same for this. It is. Let this year be a different year for all of us. I'm not saying forget about what we've done in the past. We can't. But I know this, that God says, if you come before me, I promise you, I'll forgive you as far as the east is from the west. And God, we know to know God, even on the smallest level, is to know that he never forgets anything. God is using that language like he would look upon us with eyes of sympathy and he's saying, my child, I'm not going to forget what you did. But what you did, I punished my son for. And if you come before me, I'll forgive you. I always will. You're mine. You belong to me. And I'm going to be the one to protect you from two things. Satan and my anger that's on its way. Those are the two things I'm going to protect you from. The house in heaven, the mansion, it's all great. The real gift for you, my child, is that I'm willing to take someone like you and Pastor Ken and actually change you more into the image of my beloved boy, Jesus Christ. That's the real gift for you. Heaven's going to be great, but that's not the gift. The gift is that I'm willing to change you more into the image of my son in spite of all the things that you have done, in spite of all that you will continue to do. Because I love you and you're mine. This table has been given to us by God the Father for reasons that we would receive the spiritual encouragement that we need. As John will pass uh, the communion for everyone, um, this is a moment in which we are to be reminded of the seriousness of the table. We are to be reminded that Paul teaches the church at Corinth that if we take in an unworthy manner, then we bring judgment upon ourselves. The reason that God wants us to come before him and ask for forgiveness, even which we're going to do here in the next 20 seconds, is because God doesn't want to keep us from the table, but he wants to bring us to the table. That's what he wants. It's for us to see the little piece of bread and be reminded that the body of Jesus was broken for us. It's for us to look at the juice in place of wine and be reminded that the 
blood of Christ Jesus was spilled out for the forgiveness of sins. There's nothing magical in these elements. But we do ask God to set them aside for a holy purpose. That as we believe and receive, the Holy Spirit seals that as we wait for Jesus Christ to come back. We are to be reminded that it cost God the Father everything. It cost Jesus everything. It cost the Holy Spirit, triune God, three separate persons, one nature, never in conflict with one another. It cost them everything so that me and you would gain everything. Let us pray, Father in heaven, Lord, cause us to take a moment now and just come before you if there's something that we need to say we're sorry for. We know that you want to bring us to the table, not draw us away, but also cause us to be reminded that we are not to eat in an unworthy manner. So Father, remind us of the beauty of Christ. Remind us of the beauty of your forgiveness as we come before you now. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.